The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. He is just an obsessive goal scorer. They have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu blinks it back. And I've got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. And we're live. Yeah. Welcome back to the Champions. Use <laughs> your friends dropping your comments and those questions in the chat and make sure you smash the like and subscribe buttons as we talk with Fabrizio Romano. Here we go. I'm enjoying. I'm joined by the House of Champions boys. Yes, there he is, James Bench and Michael Lahoud in the house. Plus, we have the hardest working and most trending man on the internet, Fabrizio Romano. Fab, how you doing, buddy? Oh, great, my friend. Thank you. And always a pleasure here to be with the team. So, ready to answer your questions. Sounding a little bit tired there, Fabrizio. Is this the no, recovery? No, not tired. Not tired. We are never tired. We are never tired. I'm happy with the Champions League football. So, ready to go. I love to hear it, buddy. All right, everybody out there, thank you so much for joining us. Please, if you have a question, drop it in. We'll try to get to as many as we possibly can. We begin with Chelsea. So all you Chelsea fans out there, drop in the questions for Fab, for James, for Michael, whoever it may be. Let's discuss Neymar Fabrizio. Now, there's lots of rumors about Neymar and his potential future and about potential meetings. What the hell is going on between Chelsea and Neymar? I think we had this kind of rumors because it's true that Todd Bowley met with uh, Nasser Al-Khelaifi. It was a meeting a few days ago, and but it was not a meeting to discuss transfer from what I'm told. Uh, they need the meeting also because, first of all, it's absolutely normal to have this kind of uh, face-to-face discussions between important owners and presidents like Nasser Al-Khelaifi and Todd Bowley, and also because of what happened with the Hakim Ziyech deal. So Chelsea and PSG, after that deadline day uh, drama, they had to clarify something. And then it's normal to speak about general things. I'm told there is no negotiation at this moment between Chelsea and PSG for Neymar. Chelsea uh, already signed many players in that position. Let's remind that they signed, of course, Joao Felix and they will have to make a decision at the end of the season on, uh, on Joao's future. They have Mason Mount in, in talks for a new contract. Also important to remind about Christopher Kunku, who's going to be Chelsea player at the end of the season. This is not official, but it will be a done deal very soon and it's already signed, from what I understand. So Kunku will be Chelsea player. Also, we had Mudrik and uh, Madueke in general, they are different players. So Chelsea have many, many creative players already. And this is why at the moment they are not negotiating for Neymar. What we can say, and my information is that 
there is absolutely a chance for Neymar to leave in the summer. So let's see mm. how the season will be completed for Paris Saint-Germain. We know it's a difficult moment now. Uh, so this is why we have many rumors. But from what I understand, there is a chance for Neymar to leave in the summer. They will try to look for solutions. And so let's see how it will evolve. At the moment, it's not something advanced with Chelsea or any other club. But the reality is that Neymar has chances to leave Paris Saint-Germain at the end of the season. Fab, during the January transfer window, Hakim Ziyech, it was almost destined, almost written in the stars to be at PSG. The fiasco of all fiascos happened. Where do you think stand between those two clubs in terms of their relationship? Yes, that was an incredible story, honestly. Uh, then uh, I'm not into the negotiations to be 100% sure of what's the reality, because if you speak to Paris Saint-Germain, they were really furious to Chelsea because um, they mentioned Chelsea as sending documents too late and this is why the deal collapsed. This is the Paris Saint-Germain position on this story. On Chelsea's side, they mentioned some problems with the technology, but we know how busy Chelsea were on the deadline day with Enzo Fernandez and many other stuff around that big deal. So we always have this kind of different versions on, on big stories and that was a very big drama for Hakim Ziyech because the player had the medical, the player was in Paris Saint-Germain uh, headquarters to sign the contract. So everything was done, basically between Hakim Ziyech and PSG. It was just on the clubs and just on the documents. So it's really crazy to see this kind of big deals between big clubs collapsing. So the relationship was not excellent, let's say like this. The day after, Paris Saint-Germain were literally furious with Chelsea. But now we have to see how it will evolve in the next, in the next uh, weeks and months. I think this meeting between Totboli and Nasser Al-Khalaif is going to help to rebuild the relationship between Chelsea and PSG. Well, clearly James Bench has got something more important to take care of right now as the doorbell goes here. As you can see, we are live on House of Champions, but we do not stop the flow with the one and only Fabrizio Romano, so we keep the questions coming. We have a couple of great ones coming in here on the chat. Tiny's jumping in asking about Mount and Felix. You already touched upon them uh, with the contract extensions, but Tobbs S is saying, good afternoon, everyone. Amazing channel. Mr. Fabrizio. Could I kindly ask you, do you think that Chelsea will need or buy a number nine or is Christopher mm. Nkunku and Jalo Felix enough? So basically, he's asking you a question. Is there a rumor about a number nine? But I think he's also asking the analyst in Fabrizio Romano's brain, do you think they have enough there to take care and compensate for the lack of a killer number nine? My personal opinion is they absolutely need a number nine, a proper number mm. nine, a traditional number nine. But I can tell you that it's not just my or your opinion. I think it's also what they think internally at Chelsea. They know they need the number nine. But of course, they're super happy with Joe Felix Impact. He's doing very well. He's been also unlucky in the Dortmund game, but he was having a fantastic performance. Uh, also, Christopher Kunku is a player they love. They're convinced he can help a lot in terms of goals and assists. But from what I understand, they see Christopher Kunku behind the striker and not being a traditional number nine. So in a different kind of position than his kind of player who can help in different positions. So for sure it's a great signing, but I think they will go for a striker in the summer. A traditional number nine, uh, a different kind of player. They miss that kind of striker. Of course, they have Obama Young, but the feeling around Obama Young is that mm. he will leave the club. I don't know if it will be now or at the end of the season, but the expectation is for Obama Young to leave and for Chelsea to go for a different number nine. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, Obama Young point that you made there, um, Fab, because you know I, I, when the, the news dropped that he was left out of the Champions League squad, pe speaking to people that knew him, it was... A complete bolt from the blue, a huge shock. You see what happened uh, in midweek against Dortmund where they created lots of shooting chances and no one put the ball in the net. And you think maybe does Aubameyang and his, his people have a point that they could do with that number nine right now, not in the summer. My my understanding is that that LAFC offer is on the table but kind of hasn't really, you know, Aubameyang's not that excited by it. Um, is there any other way out for him though between now and the end of the season? And also... 
Um, there's another number nine, Romelu Lukaku. Any chances that he comes back at all? Because it sounds like Inter aren't blown away by him. For Aubameyang, from what I understand, it's exactly the same you mentioned. He has this proposal from LAFC, but the player is not so excited about this kind of solution. I feel he wants to stay in Europe. And he knows, for example, that in January, he had Barcelona interest again. Barcelona would and love to bring... Yes, they, exactly. Also Atletico. They would love to bring Aubameyang back to La Liga, but it was impossible uh, due to the rules in, uh, in January after his move in the summer. And so this is why it didn't happen. But my feeling is Aubameyang wants probably to wait till the end of the season and then pick his favourite club, probably in La Liga, uh, for, for the summer. So let's wait a bit and see. But at the moment, this is the position on, on the player side. Let's see if he will change his mind because it's not easy not to play and it's not easy to be out of the Champions League squad at Chelsea. So let's see what, what he will decide. And for Romero Lukaku, I think it's going to be really important to understand what happens at Inter. Who will be Inter manager next season? How will be the yeah. second part of the season for Inter? Because now they play with a 3-5-2 system mm-hmm. and Lukaku is an important player for them. It was a really difficult season for Romero Lukaku. He's not scoring goals. He's still not 100% of his condition. And we know how important it is for Romero Lukaku to be 100% fit to perform at the best level. Otherwise, it's really complicated for him to make an impact even in Serie A. And so I think it's going to be crucial to understand what Inter will decide to do because the player would love to stay at Inter. Lukaku wants to continue in Italy. He wants to stay at Inter. He wants to stay in Milan. So this is why it's not an easy situation for Chelsea to manage. I think it's going to be crucial to understand who will be Inter manager, if Inzaghi will stay, if they will go for a different kind of coach. And in that case, uh, to understand what will be the, the Chelsea position because it's a straight loan. There is no buy option. Inter and Chelsea, when they agreed on a straight loan for Lukaku, they already verbally discussed on a potential second season loan for Romero Lukaku but the manager of Inter is going to be a crucial point of this story. Okay, so um, you're kind of letting us know here that there might be a situation with Inter. Mm. Are you hearing something there about Inzaghi? Or like, you know, what, what's the story there, Fabrizio? You need to a little bit, you know, explain that a little bit more because you opened up a little bit of a door that I'd like to creep through here. You don't think that he could be in charge of Inter next year? It's 15 points between Inter and Napoli, yeah? 15 mm. points. Uh, it's a big gap, uh, and it was absolutely unexpected at the beginning of the season. So this is why I would keep the situation open. At the moment, Inzaghi is in control, but for example, the last game with Sampdoria was really poor. You can't draw 0-0 with Sampdoria. It's something you can't do. Of course, Inzaghi is doing a good job, for example, in the Cups, because Inter are now going to face Porto in the Champions League. It was a very difficult group with, uh, mm. with Barcelona and with Bayern, and they are there. So in the Champions League, is a very good season. Uh, also in the Super, in the super Cup, uh, beating Milan in the derby, uh, and also in the Coppa Italia, the domestic cup, they're doing very good. But yeah. in Serie A, the expectations were different. So I would keep the situation open for Inter. Then at the moment, they are not speaking to any other coach, but I would keep the situation open. And I think the second part of the season will be crucial to understand more about Inzaghi, about Romero Lukaku, and many other players who are waiting to understand what will be the, the future. Well, we have many of our fans who are waiting to understand the topic of two players, English players, Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice. Question from Aaron Alexander said, hi, guys, heard Chelsea's priority target is now Jude Bellingham. Is it true? And how is it going to affect the Rice transfer saga with Arsenal and many other clubs who are targeting Rice and Bellingham? I'm not sure Bellingham is the priority target for Chelsea. I'm sure they love Bellingham, but this is absolutely normal. We all love Bellingham, so it's normal to appreciate the player, but they already invested 121 million euros on a midfielder in January. I think their priority will be different in the summer, will be to go for a 
center striker, as we say, the traditional number nine, probably to do something else in the full-back positions, maybe a left-back. Let's see what happens with Ben Chilwell. Uh, future. Also, the goalkeeper situation is one to be clarified between Kepa, uh, Mendy. Mendy is speaking about the new contract with Chelsea, but still no agreement reached. So I think they have many things to do before investing, again, more than 100 million euros on the midfielder after Enzo Fernandes. <laughs> so this is my feeling. I think they will have different priorities than we know how unpredictable are Chelsea on the market. Uh, I can guarantee to you that at the beginning of January, Joe Felix was not a target because we have Mason Mount, we have Christopher Cuckoo, then injuries, Pulisic, Sterling, and they decide to go for Joe Felix in 24 hours. So they are really unpredictable on the market. So that's why I will always keep it open for Chelsea. But at the moment, for Jude Bellingham, I would mention Liverpool, for sure, with Jurgen Klopp pushing. Jurgen Klopp pushing. Uh, also Manchester City want to try for Jude Bellingham. Real Madrid are in the race for Bellingham. So I think these three clubs are leading the race for uh, for Bellingham. Uh, great. That pretty much answers Letitia's question. She was asking about Kepa and Mendy. We do have one coming in from BX Gunner 81 here. Now, this, I just want to stick on the English chat. And I want to get your opinion in general on Ivan Tony. I know he's going through some personal mm. situations with the betting scandal or betting issues. Um, but this is a very good striker. What's your personal opinion on him as a striker? And would it be possible that because of the goals that he has scored, and I know there's baggage there, this is still a pretty much a killer in the Premier League? Yes, great player. Uh, he's scoring a lot of goals. Uh, I think we have to understand also the position of Brentford because last summer some club was interested in, in Tony and for Brentford they didn't want to negotiate with any club for him. So it's not that easy to sign this player because for Brentford he's a crucial player. He's really happy there. I think in the summer he will have a possibility to go. I'm not sure that top, top clubs like, I don't know, Chelsea and many others, Man United looking for a striker in the summer, I think they have different priorities. So maybe it's not the plan A of these clubs, probably is in the list, is a player appreciated, but at the moment, February, they are not negotiating for Ivan Tony, they are not speaking to his representatives. So they follow the player. I'm not sure they are going for him as a priority target, but I agree with you. He's a great striker, he's scoring a lot of goals, uh, and he could be a great opportunity for, for many clubs. But I think... In the summer, there are many strikers in the market. There will be many movements. For example, for Ozyman, we have to see what happens. With Harry Kane, who is negotiating a new deal with Tottenham. But let's see how the conversations will continue. So I think it will be a really interesting summer for, for strikers around Europe. I think we have to say with, with Tony as well that there is this a, a sizable number of charges relating to his betting activity hanging over yes. from the FA. And, and look, you know, if you take the case of someone like Kieran Trippier a few years back who... For, I mean, you know, a fairly innocuous event where he encouraged some of his friends to to put a bet on him going to Atletico Madrid. He was banned for several months, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Um, Ivan Tony, he has like a lot of FA charges hanging over him. And, and like from what I heard, that that yeah. really cooled the, the market a little bit. Um, Fab, another question for you. I mean, a couple of things around Mason Mount, really. First of all, to what extent are you hearing that Chelsea's desire to get all their players down to seven, eight-year contracts is kind of a bit of a hard selling point for certain players. I mean, one thing I was told is it's great if you're a Mudrick and people don't know how good you are and you know you're getting eight years at 90 grand. But, you know, Mason Mount knows he's a star and he maybe doesn't want to sign up for eight years at whatever salary. Um, and equally, could could the failure to, to tie him down, could that... like? convince them to talk to Atletico about swapping Felix for, for Mount? Who, I mean, Felix has taken his place in the team now. Yes, I yep. want to clarify that Chelsea 
don't confirm the story of them offering Mason Mount to Atletico Madrid. I think Chelsea will make a decision on Joe Felix, not now. Uh, we have to wait a bit. So I think it will be April, May when they will decide on, on the Joe Felix situation, also with a player, because also Joe Felix wants to make sure he's staying in case he has guarantees on how much he will play. He wants to be a starter. And so there are many points to decide together between Joe Felix, his agent, and, and Chelsea. But at the moment, Chelsea are not confirming the story of Mason Mount, including the negotiations with, uh, with Atletico Madrid. They are speaking to Mason Mount. I, I think your point is very good in terms of length of the contract. Not all the players are super keen on signing a new deal for six, seven, eight years. Maybe three, four years, or maybe five, as we always saw in football uh, a few months ago. It was absolutely normal to sign for four or five years. Now, we have this seven, eight years contract and not all the players are super keen on this kind of, of solution. For Mason Mount, there are still conversations ongoing. Also, Graham Potter a few minutes ago was speaking about that and saying uh, a little bit with the club, with the player, they are still in conversation. Uh, he hopes for the player to stay because he's really happy with Mason Mount. But again, let's see what Chelsea will offer to him in terms of salary and also in terms of length of the contract. The conversation is still ongoing, but at the moment, nothing is agreed. Nothing is close. Also, uh, in the last few months, Mason Mount decided to uh, change his agent. Now he's with his family, his father, he's taking care of the negotiations. So this is another point. You have to restart the negotiations and this is why things are going a bit slow in the last few months. But the conversation is still ongoing so I would keep it open and let's see with Mason Mount and with Golo Kante also what happens because Kante is out of contract in the summer and Chelsea are speaking to him but at the moment it's not 100% done yet. That's fascinating. Also fascinating I thought watching the Dortmund-Chelsea game this week was you know, the story behind Christian Pulisic potentially going back to Dortmund, playing in a game, but he's just nowhere to be seen right now with Chelsea. Obviously, I know he's had his injury issues, and we have recently mentioned about potential of him going to Atletico Madrid. Um, I guess, what the, what's the latest on Christian Pulisic here? Because he's in a difficult position right now, and, and in many ways, he probably can't get into this team. And my opinion is that at the, at the end of the season, they will have to make a decision on, on Pulisic. And I think he has a chance to go. It's for Pulisic, it's for Ziyech. I think there will be many players uh, to, to leave Chelsea or to try to find a solution because Chelsea want imported money. They're not accepting loan deals. Uh, and this is a point also for, for Pulisic. They have to find the right solution, the right proposal. About the rumours, I think we had millions of rumours around Pulisic. We spoke about Juventus, Milan, Atletico yeah. Madrid, Borussia Dortmund, uh, Newcastle, Man United. We had many, many stories about him. But then you need someone to put maybe 40, 35, 40, 45 millions on the table for, for Pulisic and it didn't happen at this stage. So we have to wait. Also, the injury was not helping because my feeling from what I understand is that they were prepared to let him go in January before the injury. Uh, the plan was Mudrik in and Pulisic out from what I understand. Then because of the injury, it didn't happen. And so now they're trying to protect the player. Let's see at the end of the season. I think at the end of the season at Chelsea, there could be many outgoings, many players on the move and Pulisic could be one of them. Mm -hmm. Fab, let's talk a club, another club who's constantly in the headlines, FC Barcelona. The longer Lionel Messi and PSG don't reach an agreement, it's inevitable that those two are linked again with a possible reunion. Where do things stand with Stan? Yes, at the moment with Barcelona, I think yesterday what his father, Jorge Messi, said, he was in Barcelona, not to negotiate with Barca, but he said, I don't think he's returning to Barca. And at the moment, the reality, from what I understand, is that Barcelona have not made any proposals to, to Leo Messi. Jorge Messi also mentioned that. He said, we don't have any bid from Barca. We're not speaking to Laporta. And from what I understand, this is the reality. Barcelona are not negotiating with Messi, offering him a contract, speaking about the salary. 
this is not the case. At the moment, it's still February. So uh, there was a meeting uh, the day after uh, the Paris Saint-Germain-Bayern game in the Champions League between Jorge Messi and Paris Saint-Germain. This meeting was between, of course, the owners and, of course, the board of PSG with Luis Campos. No agreement yet. They think it's absolutely normal because the contract of Messi is not a normal contract. It's a big contract with many clauses, with many details to be clarified. So there will be more meetings in the next weeks between Jorge Messi and Paris Saint-Germain. The conversation continues. But at the moment, from Barcelona, there is still no bid on the table. So I think if Barca will enter into the story, it will be at the end of the season, not now. Uh, mm-hmm. Also because of the financial fair play situation, we know how complicated it is for Barca to sign new players in this moment. They have to keep an eye on the balance. So it's not that easy. But at the moment, there is still no bid from Barcelona. We have to see how this conversation between PSG and Messi will continue. The feeling is he's only negotiating with PSG. At the moment, he knows about Inter Miami dream, Inter Miami interest. He knows about Barcelona dreams of Messi back. But at the moment, the proposals are not on the table from what I understand. A couple of minutes left with Fabrizio Romano. You're watching House of Champions. Fab, um, this deal finally took place in the end. I don't know what the hell happened. Me and Mike obviously are big MLS lovers. James is a wannabe lover of Major League Soccer as well. <laughs> Julian Araujo from LA Galaxy. I mean, mm, this one yeah. was very interesting that it didn't get done initially. But yesterday we see him walking through the airport into <laughs> Barcelona. And he's now a Barca player. What the hell happened? Yes, that finally after uh, the appeal, everything is completed. So they approved all the documents. Everything is done between mm. LA Galaxy and, uh, and Barcelona so we can consider uh, Julian Araujo as new Barca player he will be with the second team with Barca Athletic but then he will be training and he will be available with the first team with, uh, with Xavi they're convinced this player has a lot of potential they already wanted him in the summer deadline day then it was not possible to complete the agreement with Los Angeles Galaxy now the deal is uh, done for a total package of 4 million euros from what I understand is 2 millions guaranteed plus some closes some sell-on clause including the deal between LA Galaxy and, uh, and Barcelona but the total value is 4 million euros the player signs a contract until June 2026 so three year and half deal and good luck to him because it was a really crazy saga on deadline day the deal was done then they signed the documents 18 seconds after the deadline but finally it looks like it's it's done he's completing his contract right now and so Julian Rajol will be a new new Barca player I think we're all very happy to see that deal. I mean, terrible haircut, but at the same time, really happy (laughs) that the deal went through. Fabrizio, thanks for being across everything on the transfer market, but also uh, really awesome to see you just enjoying the games this week in the Champions League. What was your overall thought on the first leg of the games? I mean, Mm. um, there were some cracking games to look forward to. Chelsea have got a chance. Pretty much every tie has a second chance in the second leg. And also in the Europa League, Barcelona-Man United game was a cracking game to watch. Was there any game that stood out to you, PSG-Bayern maybe? Ah, yes, PSG Bayern was amazing, but I'm sure everything is open for PSG and Bayern, for Milan and Tottenham, for Chelsea and Borussia Dortmund. This is what I love. I think everything is absolutely open. I was at San Siro and I was really surprised by Tottenham's performance, honestly. I was expecting something completely different. Of course, Antonio Conte, I think physical condition is not helping because he's not the real Conte. And I think in the second leg, I hope in the second leg for Tottenham, it will be an opportunity to fight with a different mentality playing at home. And yes, of course, I expect Paris Saint-Germain to have different kind of reaction when they will play Bayern at, uh, at Munich it will be a huge game also Chelsea with Borussia Dortmund and Stamford Bridge would be a really important one they were really unlucky I think in that game mm-hmm. at the Yemi fantastic Fab, I can't but, believe you were at yeah. the San Siro and not at Turf Moor yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable yeah, yeah. so called fans <laughs> yes 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 but congrats to Milan great performance yeah. I wasn't expecting that to perform at that league so everything is open and that's why I love Champions League <laughs> Uh, we do too as well and we love you too Fabrizio so thank you so much for joining us uh, this week appreciate you brother thank you thank you and see you soon here on House of Champions thank you ciao
So. Awesome stuff. Ciao to Fabrizio. Okay, take a break, everybody. Uh, come back with us. We'll be right back in just a minute. We're going to discuss the situation at Manchester United with the bidding process ending, mm. apparently, today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, don't miss out on a second of the action from the greatest club competition on earth it is the Champions League follow the biggest stars from the world of soccer like Lionel Messi Karim Benzema Victor Osimhen, and Erling Haaland as they try to clinch the most prestigious prize in the game stream every single match from the Champions League live only on Paramount Plus try one month for free using the promo code ADVANCE so yes everybody don't miss out on a single second of UEFA action right there on Paramount Plus and CBS Sports. Welcome back to House of Champions, everybody. It is, of course, James Bench, Michael Hood, myself, Ian Joy. Um, let's discuss Manchester United. Mike, you're on the back burner for a minute here. I'm going yeah, to yeah. James first because I'm intrigued about what's going on with Manchester United. The bidding process deadline is today, James. Um, we're now hearing that the Qataris will make a bid, Saudis will make a bid, uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe will make a bid. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy what's happening with this whole bidding process. What are you expecting the outcome to be here, James? If you were to just take a dive at it, would you think that it would be a, an astronomical bid that will win here? Or will there be a lot of thought behind the process as to who will be the new owners of Manchester United? Uh, oh, I mean, like, don't ask me who will be the new owners because, you know, I, <laughs> I don't have the insight into uh, a- ailing middle-aged billionaires that uh, I could offer. <laughs> but, I mean, I suppose if we, we start with the basics... Um, the, the deadline today is, it has to be said, a soft deadline. Um, and that's partly because Manchester United are a, a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. So their owners, whoever they are, are obliged to consider any bids that come in at any time. But equally, you know, Rain Group, who've been managing this process and manage the sale process. For Chelsea, you know, they've said, let's try and get a, a lay of the land. Try, please try and declare your interest and, and send us proof of funds by the end of the day today. Um, in terms of answering your actual question and where it goes, look, I don't ever get the sense that that the uh, Glazers are particularly concerned about much beyond the highest price. And there's a reason that they are cashing out right now. There is a reason that FSG at Liverpool are looking to sell, whether it's a minority stake or for the right deal, I'm sure, the whole club. Yeah. You know, they, they their assumption is after the Super League collapse, there is no great big bang in revenue waiting to happen. So they are going to get back you know the maximum they can I mean what's fair to say is there will be supporters of Manchester United that will have the same qualms that Newcastle supporters had that Chelsea Mm -hmm. supporters had 20 years ago when it comes to selling up to uh, regimes and and the money from uh, countries like Saudi Arabia and Qatar and it's also true that there has been pressure placed on UEFA to uh, to to not allow 
any Qatari vehicles? Because I think this is the challenge with Saudi Arabia, with Qatar. Yes, it may not be the same body with the same name. It may not be QSI. It may be QIA. But -hmm. fundamentally, you know, if this is all kind of leading back to the ruling families that, you know, the power brokers of these of these countries, how different is it just because you slapped a different name on it? Uh, The Premier League is... these things get very complicated, very tricky. And of course, UEFA regulations are that you can't have two teams playing in a competition with the same owners. So that, that is all very complicated. Set against that, maybe the Jim Ratcliffe bid, if it's of a similar cash value, it becomes a little bit easier to work it all through. But I mean, Ratcliffe doesn't have, he's a very wealthy man and he's a man who is a Manchester United supporter and has great emotional investment in getting this club. But uh, he doesn't have, you know, tens of billions like Qatar and like Saudi Arabia do to throw at this thing. So in answer to your question, no, not a clue who's actually going to end up buying Manchester United. But it certainly seems compared to a month ago when I was hearing the interest was not there, that they have at least got offers or indications of interest on the table, which is good news for the Glazers, I guess, if no one else. Yeah. Uh, James, just looking at possible things that have to be addressed at the club, at a club like Manchester United, you have things like, the debt at the club, which doesn't get talked about enough. Sporting achievements, which obviously a club the size of Manchester United seems to be priority number one week in and week out. And also upgrades to things like the training facility. What do you think becomes stadium? What do you think becomes priority number one for whoever takes over the club? Oh, that's a really good question. I think for whoever takes over the club, I mean, obviously, you know, there is there are the debts to service and there's a huge amount of player debt. Um, equally, I think it's fair to say that you know Manchester United ownership have been living quite well off some dividends coming out of, of Old Trafford, and um, I think a, an owner that's willing to make capital investment in this club could find that it's quite an effective way of whether it's through increased asset asset value or just just selling it on in another ten years' time could find there is money to be made. I mean, I look at especially at Old Trafford. I don't, I don't know if or when you guys last went, and um, the last few times I've been is a. Uh, for the so-called theatre of dreams, it is a deeply underwhelming experience for anyone that happens to travel there. You know, on occasions, the roof has been leaking while I've been there. It is mm. uh, The facilities are outdated. I mean, not least because, you know, Old Trafford is, for, for people like yourself, Mike, it, it's Mecca, and it may be the sort of place you only go once or twice in a year, once or twice in their lifetime. Uh, and there's a lot of money to be made out of people that do that. Um, and I, when I'm at Old Trafford and I compare that to the Etihad, Tottenham Stadium, Arsenal Stadium, West Ham's, you know, there are there is money being left on the table from that. So, you know, the Glazers have also started some of that work long overdue, uh, talking to architects and all that. I think that's where a lot of the priority will lie. The sporting stuff, I mean, you, it's not that difficult. You just have to find competent people and let them get on with it because the club produce, produces so much in revenue. That's all you really need to do. You need to keep things keep ticking over and find good people on the sporting side. But get that stadium right, and uh, United are, are making a lot of money. I got a question for both of you here, um, and and basically this is down to the valuations of Premier League clubs, and it's now down to ownership and who buys these clubs and why they buy these clubs. I think it's safe to say that anyone who bought a club 
um, you know, in the last, what, five, six, and previously before that has made great returns on their investment when it comes to the valuation of clubs and now looking to sell it. I mean, the, the most recent valuation I'm looking at now, Manchester United was, what, $6 billion. Uh, and then you have Liverpool mm. closely behind, Manchester City close behind, just under $5 billion. And, and, and an increase for Manchester United in particular, it was a 28% increase in valuation over a two-year period. Now, mm. my question to you both, I'll start with you, Mike. Where do you go from here? How does it get bigger than what it is right now? Because previously we have witnessed, I, in many ways, I think that the Premier League was undervalued. And these American owners came in here. You, you saw, obviously, a lot of owners jumped in very early, recognizing there was massive room for potential of growth. Is that still there for Premier League now, where growth can still happen, so that when this owner or these new owners who buy Manchester United can still make a profit on their investment. Well, I'll tell you what's been missing for Manchester United, a Premier League title. That's how it gets bigger. Winning, look at what happened with Man City. Obviously, the influx of cash. Look at what happened with Liverpool. The winning is synonymous with bigger dividends and bigger revenue coming in. Yes, you have things you put on behind the scenes, but I think getting a Premier League title, getting trophies back in the cabinet for United, alongside getting rid of the debt, I think those two things will be good for the Premier League as a whole. The foreign investors that have come in, look at what's happened with Newcastle United overnight. I mean, there's a lot that goes in on the technical side and the sporting side of things with Eddie Howe getting around on the field. But look at what's happening with the fan base. It's regalvanized by money being invested in the right ways. I think a trophy will be the thing for United. I, don't, I almost think, and you know, this is something Ed Woodward used to say, much to the chagrin of, of Manchester United supporters. Trophies are kind of irrelevant. I mean, nice to have, and certainly they help a little bit. You know, they add a little extra 5% and you get that Champions League revenue and, and it all helps. But I mean, really, I mean, so this, this on your initial questioning, there's almost these, these two levels. There are the teams at the level of even a Bournemouth where you saw, um, was it Bill Foley, Michael Foley? Bill Foley. Yes. Coming in oh, and yeah. buying that team for around 300 no, a very low price, whatever it was. My mind has gone blank. Significantly lower than the cost of buying an MLS franchise. And of course, he's do, you know he, he's doing that in the knowledge that Bournemouth could get relegated and his asset could collapse in value. But equally, if they can stay up, they're getting access to these revenues that dwarf anything in the MLS and are more comparable with NFL, NBA. And I think for the best teams, the reason you kind of get in there is that they're not going to get relegated you have access to the Premier League cash machine and the way that the next Man United owner turns you know get turns the profit that the Glazers did is by finding a way to to, to keep the Premier League on the trajectory it's currently on the Premier League is the Super League in all but name (laughs) and it's quite interesting you know the appetite when I was speaking to people around uh, A22 when they launched their rebranded Super League last week, no real appetite from English teams because they just look at it and they go, we've won. Like The Premier League is where all the money goes, where all the players go. And I think the logic is that will keep growing and therefore overseas broadcast revenue will keep growing. We just saw how much NBC threw at the Premier League, was it a year or so Mm -hmm. ago, huge increase in value. And and that, that they still feel is the thing that's untapped you could also throw in lots of other stuff. I know Bowley and, and his team talk a lot about things like augmented reality that you might now go to watch Chelsea versus Manchester United at Madison Square Garden, say, in 4K VR 
and it's like you're there but you're not and you pay 20 quid and people do that in 20 different cities around the world and hey that's a lot of money for Chelsea there I mean who knows if that stuff's true but the more and more the Premier League can continue on the trajectory it's currently on as the preeminent soccer league in the world the more and more these avenues open up and um I mean that really you need to keep strengthening this league um that really is how it uh, how it builds in revenue I thought it was a great and fascinating discussion with uh, Guillaume Balaguer and also the reaction from Jamie Carragher. I don't know if both of you caught it this week on the Paramount Plus uh, pregame show. And um, it was fascinating to to see what Guillaume was was referring to as far as the Premier League sharing um, the joy that they're having right now financially and basically keeping the rest of Europe afloat so that it becomes more competitive. Mike, where do you stand on that? I don't know if you watched the clip. It was a really great debate. Yeah. Now, it was a fantastic debate, but basically what Guillaume was saying that the Premier League is the Super League in itself right now. And he was saying that to make it even across UEFA, that the Premier League should be sharing their financial success with the rest of Europe so that it becomes more competitive on the pitch. So what would your, I mean, James is going to jump in in a second, but what would your initial thoughts be on something like that? Um, I'm not for it because <laughs> I think it lets other other leagues la liga i'm looking at you with the headlines we've seen from the likes of tebas barcelona is get your (laughs) shit in the right order before other clubs other leagues bail you out so i'm not for it well i mean frankly my first point would be why would why are premier league clubs you know if there's revenue to be shared why are they not sharing it with and and obviously this is what the british government are saying and Mm. this is what there are talks ongoing about why is that not going to, to other British clubs lower down the pyramid? And I think that would be everyone's right. immediate yeah. first answer. You know, when teams like, was it Carlisle, are battling and, and, you know, we've actually seen clubs like Stockport County go to the wall. Macclesfield. Um, Macclesfield is the one mm. I was thinking of. Yes, thank you. Sorry, Carlisle and Stockport. Um, <laughs> my mind went blank. But when you've seen those sort of clubs battling for their own existence, surely, you know, there's a natural inclination to keep money within your game. I don't think that sort of sort of old fashioned protectionist view, like there is a pyramid that's worth celebrating, but also let's kind of hit or knock on the head. The idea that this is like, you know, the Premier League is in some unprecedented situation in the history of European football. Uh, was it Gab Marcotti made a great point um, that back in the early nineties, David Platt moved to Bari, who were a lower mid-table Serie A club, and they spent more on David Platt than any English team had spent on his, in history mm. on any player. The point Carragher was making, of course, was fantastic as well. That Real Madrid and and Barcelona really enjoyed, uh, you know, and, and Mike was saying this as well. They loved throwing their weight around financially and getting the Premier League's best players. And at that time, they never thought it was wise to improve the product by making sure that there was a bit more revenue going to the big clubs, the Valencias, to the extent the Atletico Madrid, the Deportivo, La Coruñas, those guys, you know, they didn't want competition. They wanted to throttle the whole economy, keep their own broadcast rights. And, you know, a lot of that had to be clawed back from them in the courts. That's how difficult they were. So then, frankly, and same to Juventus, don't come crying that you, your league is no longer the, the richest, the place to go. Because, because you've mismanaged yourselves. I mean, Barcelona and Juventus are engaged in some sort of game of incompetence, one-upmanship, <laughs> where they increasingly do things to get you know the you know get the lawyers involved. Like Mike was saying, put your own house in order, and then, 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 and then once the Premier League have addressed some of the issues in the English pyramid, then 
you can come, come and talk to the Premier League about a few scraps off their table. It's laughable, the idea that the Premier League should be funding La Liga. I'm with you on this one. And I think if you go back to the recent successes over decades, um, in the 90s for the Italian clubs in particular, mm-hmm. pulling away the best talent from the world, putting it into Italy, and then not necessarily having the right business structures to maintain. That's the biggest problem for a lot of these leagues. La Liga in particular, which was obviously where Guillaume was referring to as far as like trying to equally share so that he could see La Liga be more competitive. They don't have a competitive league because if you look at the way the revenues are shared domestically in La Liga, I mean, it's completely unfair to the teams that are in their own league, let alone the teams in the lower divisions in their own country. It, it's like a monopoly. I hate using that term, but it really is. It's it's success for a big two or a big three or a big four in that domestic country. Whereas if you look at the Premier League structure, and I will say this, it's really interesting, obviously, having a massive ownership where you have uh, Manchester City's ownership doing a great job, in my opinion. I know there are obviously financial problems right now. Um, but they're, they're really invested in the Premier League in particular. They're invested in making it a better league and more competitive. They want to win UEFA. Of course they do. They want to be the best team in England. Um, but Liverpool being competitive, now United obviously getting back in there, Arsenal being super competitive and um, big clubs. Now, Newcastle, like the Premier League across the board is probably the most competitive league I've ever seen. And that is compared to Premier Leagues in the past. Now we have obviously through history seen many a title race in the Premier League where it's been really eye-opening. Um, but when I watch the Premier League now, Arsenal or Manchester City could lose to any team mm-hmm. in the Premier League. And that's why I tune in to watch football. And and we are starting to see a bit of a comeback from Serie A in Italy. Really enjoy watching uh, um, the Italian league get better, but there's still a, a clear winner of it this year and, and obviously Milan last year. German football is my passion and there's a winner there every single year. It's the same winner. And the competitive spirit is completely gone because they're selling their best players. So the business infrastructure, the professional infrastructure, the professional business needs to be on point. So I thought it was a fascinating discussion. Thanks to both of you as well for jumping in the conversation and uh, sharing your opinion as well. Mike, I suggest you go and watch that clip because it yeah. will really open mm. your eyes. As to Carragher, how he answered, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Mad respect for Guillaume for opening up like that, but you open yourself up for criticism when you say <laughs> some of the things that he did say. James, where are you going this weekend? We've got some big games in the Prem going on. Um, Arsenal are at Villa, aren't they? Why did you guess? Well, I think, I mean, it's a big, it's a, it's a massive game for Arsenal, isn't it? In terms of just turning the tide around and don't forget if they win they're three points clear at the top of the Premier League I mean it's going to be tough I'm just looking forward to seeing Unai Emery again I don't think he remembers me too fondly from my time covering him at Arsenal and like when I saw him um, Villarreal against Liverpool I think probably he didn't know who I was but there was like an inkling that when he when I asked him a question he was like oh this Mike what about you you got your eyes uh, on anything this weekend? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, United Leicester. Lost to City. Looking forward to hopefully United closing the gap. But Leicester is going to be a tough game. So that's on Sunday, I believe. Uh, I've got a couple of crackers for you as well. Newcastle United against Liverpool is going to be yes. one that you, you yeah, yeah. want to watch. One. That one there, uh, uh, very difficult to say, pick a favourite right now, but Newcastle, I'm just going to say, are a very hard team to beat. And um, I would say our favourite's going into this game. Everton against Leeds United is another one. Ooh, I've got my eyes one. on there. 
Um, with Leeds obviously trying to make a bit of a comeback and as uh, Sean Dice back on home soil again, it'll be another one to watch. Uh, boys, thank you as always. What a great week, man. Really fantastic week. We look forward to doing it all again next week. It's the beauty of our game, right? We really appreciate all your efforts this week, boys. And um, make sure everybody out there is uh, following the boys across the social media platforms as much as you possibly can. James, incredibly active on uh, cbssports.com as well. So please make sure you jump on board and find all the latest and greatest articles. And uh, we also had a very special interview. I'm not going to tease it too much today but there is one coming up very very soon we can't wait to discuss with a legend of the game it is a good one so watch this space across the house of uh, champions uh, platforms as well uh, appreciate everybody uh, just make sure that you are um, also taking a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform we're available on apple podcast spotify stitcher and anywhere else you listen to your podcast also available as videos so subscribe to us as always on youtube we will see you next week everybody have a fantastic weekend Series on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.